We've been working our way through the Psalms, and so uh, it'll be wonderful if you can have Psalm 2 open in front of you, and uh, uh, we'll be looking at that closely this morning. But before we do that, uh, why don't I lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you have not stayed silent, but that you are a God who speaks uh, your powerful word to us. Uh, We thank you, Father, for the Psalms, and we thank you for this opportunity to listen to what you have to say. And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, as we read this, uh, we ask that you would enlighten our hearts by the power of your Spirit uh, to understand what this part of your word teaches us about your Son and about your King, so that we might respond to him uh, in right ways, uh, trusting him and turning to him for safety. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, uh, I was in New Zealand last week with my family, uh, and we spent a few days in the city of Christchurch. Uh, And I don't know if you've been to Christchurch, but it's the city that uh, just seven years ago experienced that awful earthquake. Do you remember that? And uh, everywhere you go in Christchurch, there are reminders of what happened such that you feel a little bit unsafe. Crumbling buildings, for example. Lack of morale among the people. Uh, there is this, even this striking memorial uh, in the heart of the city where they have 184 white chairs to represent the 184 people who perished in the earthquake. And uh, you you start to realise that you're on shaky ground. You start to feel a little bit unsafe. Uh, Now, this morning, I want to suggest that Christians can often feel unsafe because of opposition to our faith. Is that true? Uh, When we uh, open up the newspapers, for example, and we see our Christian brothers and sisters maligned and hated in the media because... Uh, of their expressing Christian views on things like human sexuality, uh, we often feel unsafe, don't we? Or when we go to work and we know that uh, those whom we work with are opposed to Christianity, opposed to Jesus and his ways and all that Jesus stands for, well, we might feel a little bit unsafe and remain quiet In fact, I think that as our society moves further and further away uh, from the gospel, as our society moves further and further away from the gospel and we face more and more powerful opposition to our faith, uh, we and our children, uh, I'm guessing, will feel increasingly unsafe as Christian people. But it's not, not just outward opposition and persecution, is it? For we also can face inward turmoil as well. Uh, Often uh, you and I struggle with sin, which seems so powerful, and we find ourselves failing again and again and again. And uh, we might wonder whether God can actually keep someone like me in his kingdom. We feel unsafe in that sense. Where do you go when you feel unsafe as a Christian person? Where do you turn to? Who do you turn to when you feel unsafe in these ways? 
Uh, well, we've just started a new series on the Psalms, as I mentioned. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing uh, Kevin's sermon on YouTube last week uh, because I missed his sermon on Psalm 1. But uh, if you remember in Psalm 1, uh, it's really all about the blessed person. Uh, who is the blessed person? Well, it's the one who delights in the law or instruction of the Lord. Uh, it's the one who, who delights in it and meditates on it day and night. It's the one whose life is anchored uh, in the word of God so that during times of fair weather or during time, times of uh, storms in our life, well, we can stand secure and prosper like the great big tree that is described in Psalm chapter 1. But what will we see if we delight in the law of the Lord? What will we see if we meditate on what God says in his word day and night? Well, I think the answer is actually given to us in Psalm 2. For the thing that we see in Psalm 2 is the reign or the rule of the Lord and his anointed king. In other words, as we read the Psalms, and indeed as we read the, the whole Bible, what God wants us to see is that he is the one who rules the world, and he does it through the king, the anointed king that he has placed on the throne. Uh, now, Psalm 2 is actually a, a song in, in four parts. Um, however, in the first part, which goes from uh, verses 1 to 3, if you have a look in your Bibles, uh, you can see there that we are firstly not introduced to the sovereign rule of God, but we are actually introduced to a worldwide conspiracy against his rule. Uh, who are these people that are conspiring against God in the first few verses? Well, you can see there in verse 1 that it is the, the pagan nations and the people who live in them. But further, in verse 2, it is not just the people, but it's also their kings and their rulers. Uh, what are they doing? Well, in verse 1, you can see that they are raging, aren't they? Literally, this means noisily uh, clamoring together uh, in their anger. Further, you'll notice that they are also plotting uh, the actual word there for plot or plotting is the word murmuring, which uh, we saw last week in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, it's the word that's been translated in our Bibles as uh, meditating. But rather than meditating on the word of God in order to be obedient to what God has to say, well, these people are meditating on how they can overthrow God's rule in their life. They are murmuring and thinking and scheming and plotting about how they can take down God's rule. Uh, that's why in verse 2, they set themselves up against Israel's God, the Lord Yahweh, and his anointed. Uh, as we heard in the kids' talk this week, the word anointed is uh, simply another way of speaking about God's king. Uh, that's how they coronated kings uh, in ancient Israel. They anointed them with oil. Uh, it's, in the Hebrew, it's the word Messiah. Uh, and in the Greek, it's the word Christ. Uh, here, the nations and their kings have set themselves up against the Lord 
and his anointed king in rebellion against their rule. Uh, But here's a question, friends. Uh, In what way are they rebelling against God here? In what way are they rebelling against God? Well, uh, you can see there that the way they rebel is by wanting to be free from God's rule and reign over them. Uh, You can see it there in verse 3, can't can't you? Uh, This is what the conspirators say. They say, let us burst their bonds apart and, and cast away their cords from us. You see, these pagan nations and their kings are the ones who see God's rule as deeply oppressive. They see God's rule as bonds and as cords. Uh, these were the, the leather straps that they used to put on animals and, and livestock in order to control them. Uh, I think the NIV translation uses the word chains and fetters like slaves would wear. You see, uh, these people simply see God's rule as a ball and chain that they need to be free from. Now, uh, the New Testament tells us that Psalm 2 was written by King David, and uh, you can easily imagine, can't you, uh, the ancient kings uh, during David's reign uh, around uh, the area of Palestine sort of gathering together to plot the downfall of of King David and, and his God. And yet, what Psalm 2 is describing here is actually the essence of sin, isn't it? It's the essence of uh, sinful humanity and the sin that we are all guilty of. You see, rather than seeing God's rule as a delight and something worth meditating on, and something that brings great blessing and joy to us, uh, often we live, uh, we see God's rule, rather, as a bit of a ball and chain that we need to be free from. Is that true of you at times? Um, It's certainly true of me at times. I mean, how do we feel when God's word, for example, challenges our our, our desires and our ambitions. And God asks us to give some of those things up for the sake of serving him. Um, how do you and I feel when God's word confronts our greed and asks us to give away our money generously? How do we feel when God's word tells us to trust his view of sexuality rather than buying into the world's view of sexuality. Uh, Friends, I have every hope that as God's people, with God's spirit, uh, we are being obedient in, in many of these areas. But I'm sure there are times when you and I in our sinfulness also see God's word as a bit of a ball and chain that, that we need to be free from. Is that true? But friends, the psalmist here questions such foolishness. Uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but the psalmist asks a question here, doesn't he? He he says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? He doesn't actually answer this question because it's the sort of question you ask when when you see something that 
really doesn't make sense. It's a little bit foolish. You know, it's, it's when you see something foolish and you say, well, why would he do that? Um, that that's the psalmist's question here. Why do you think that you can rebel against your maker and get away with it? Well, uh, how does God then respond to this conspiracy? Uh, is he sitting in heaven, um, sort of shaking in his boots as these kings gather together to challenge his rule? Well, no. Uh, look at what he does. Uh, you can see it there in verse 4 that God's response to this rebellion is simply to laugh. At verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Uh, I don't think uh, that we're meant to see this as an evil or sinister kind of laugh, as though you know, God is rubbing his hands with glee at the prospect of destroying those who rebel against him. But it's an incredulous kind of laughter, isn't it? Um, he's laughing at the sheer absurdity of these puny little kings who have gathered together to take on the God of heaven. Notice the contrast. In verse 2, the rebels are described as the kings of the earth, whereas in verse 4, God is described as the one who sits in the heavens. It's as though God who created the universe is sitting in heaven looking down on these puny little kings and saying, you... Little kings, you want to rebel against me? <laughs> uh, I went to the NASA website uh, the other day, and uh, on the website you can see all these photos of um, different galaxies that the Hubble telescope has, has taken. Uh, it, it's simply amazing. You should, you should go on the website one day. Uh, when you see these photos, you're struck by just how vast our universe is. Uh, I mean, you think Earth is big, but Earth is just a, a small planet in our solar system, isn't it? And our solar system is just a, a, a little part of uh, a, a much bigger galaxy called the, called the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is just one of millions, possibly billions of other galaxies, many of, of, of which are, are much bigger than our own. In fact, compared to the size of our universe, uh, Earth is not even a speck of dust. It's not even the size of an atom. Uh, it's quite mind-blowing. And yet, here are these little kings gathered near Palestine in a little corner of a speck of dust that we call the earth and they are meeting to try and overthrow the king who has created it all. And God sits in heaven and he simply laughs. My friends, uh, you may have noticed that there's something very unexpected here. For uh, you can see there in verse 5 that God's laughter turn, turns to wrath and fury at the sheer arrogance of the nations and their kings who have set themselves up against the Lord and his anointed. And yet, 
rather than destroying them on the spot, what does God do? Well, notice that he installs his king in the city of Jerusalem. He installs his king in Zion. You can see it there in verse 6, can't you? As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Do you find that unexpected? God's answer to the sinful rebellion of, of the nations and her kings in this world is to set his king on the throne. This is God's checkmate move, if you like. The nations and her kings set themselves up against God. God sets his king on his throne in Jerusalem. However, installing a king involves a coronation, doesn't it? And so in in verses 7 to 9, we are given a coronation scene. And here you can see that the anointed king himself reports the things that the Lord says to him at his coronation. Uh, What does the Lord say to his anointed king? Well, he says, Today, I am entering into a special relationship with you. You can see it there in verse 7. On the day of his coronation, the Lord says to his anointed king, You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Uh, What he's saying is that from now on, You will be my special and precious and unique son who will rule the world in my place. But further, notice that the Lord makes a breathtaking promise to his son. Uh, As the one who created and as the one who owns all the things in this world, he says to his son, I will give you the nations And all things and all peoples in these nations will submit to your rule, even your enemies who you will destroy on the last day. Now let's pick it up from verse 8. Have a look with me at verse 8. The Lord says to his, his king, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dashed them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Um, I don't know whether you've been to T2 before. Um, has anyone been to T2? Um, yeah, a lot of tea drinkers uh, in this room. Uh, my wife likes to drink tea, and so uh, a little while ago I went to T2 uh, to buy some Earl Grey. Um, but I always get nervous going to T2 because when you walk into the shop, um, they have all these, these China teapots Kind of, they, don't, they don't just kind of have one here and one there, but they stack them on top of one another, don't they? And uh, going in there with my children is a nightmare because I can just imagine what's, what's going to happen. But here, what God is promising is that one day, his son, who rules the nations will destroy his enemies, those who are conspiring against him, those who are trying to uh, be free from his rule, a little bit like someone going into a T2 shop with a baseball bat. Uh, It's meant to be a shocking and violent image. Now, you will know that in the history of Israel, there were many coronations, Uh, Beginning with uh, King David, there were many kings. 
There were many sons, if you like, sons of God. And yet none of these sons even came close to ruling the nations in the way that Psalm 2 describes. In fact, for most of Israel's history, if you suggested that one of her kings was the ruler of the nations, I think you would have been laughed at. However, when you come to the New Testament, it becomes apparent that all these other kings in Israel were simply warming the seat for the Psalm 2 king that had now arrived. Do you remember what God says to Jesus in his earthly ministry? Uh, At his baptism, God says to Jesus, You are my son. With you I am well pleased. At his transfiguration, where Jesus is gloriously transformed so that his face shines like the sun and his clothes become white as the light, God says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And after the resurrection, the apostles see that the Psalm 2 king is actually the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the nations and her rulers had gathered to conspire against him and even to put him to death, but he defeated death. He came back from the grave. And as the risen and ascended king, he is the one who rules the nations and will one day return to shatter his enemies. It's not exactly Jesus meek and mild here, is it? It's not like, you know, one of those paintings of a Caucasian Jesus with long flowing hair, kind of walking his sheep around as though he couldn't hurt a fly. No, this is the king who powerfully rules the nations and who will put down every rebellion when he comes in wrath and fury. But you see, friends, the thing is, this is a psalm that is written for God's people. It's meant to remind God's people that despite what it might seem like at times... Uh, when we often feel unsafe and when we think there are other things and people and forces that are more powerful, it's meant to remind us that God's anointed king is actually the one who rules the nations and that him coming back to judge his enemies is only a matter of time. Uh, What difference should that make for us? Uh, Well, I think uh, Psalm 2 is meant to actually give us a little bit of backbone in our Christian life. It's meant to inject some steel into our bones. You know, when you go to your office tomorrow morning and you hear your boss and your work colleagues um, hating Jesus or uh, speaking evil of him and his ways, well, remind yourself who your king really is. He is the one who rules over those who dare oppose him. And so be confident in him. Be bold for him. Or you may be facing overwhelming temptation in your life uh, to sin in in some way or another. Uh, You find yourself failing again and again in this area of life and you feel like this sin 
is just too powerful to stop. Well, if that's you, then remind yourself who your king actually is. He is the one who is greater than all things, greater than Satan, greater than your sin, so that he can help you in your temptation. Go to your king. Ask him for help. You get the picture. Uh, Well, friends, uh, we're on the home stretch. Uh, We've seen the conspiracy. We've seen uh, the Lord's response. Uh, We've seen the coronation of the king who rules over the nations and uh, will destroy those who conspire against God. Uh, But, friends, here's the absolutely wonderful thing about this psalm. Notice that this psalm does not end with the threat of judgment, but notice that this psalm ends with an invitation to find blessing. Isn't that wonderful? You can see there that uh, it begins with a warning uh, to the kings and the rulers who who have been opposing the king. Uh, In verse 10, the psalmist says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. If God's anointed king is going to come to destroy his enemies, then you had better wise up, is what the psalmist is saying. You need to heed this warning. How do you heed the warning? Well, rather than rebelling against God and seeking to overthrow his rule in your life, well, serve him instead. Submit to him in your life. You can see it there in verse 11, can't you? It says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Uh, Now, we'll have much more to say about what it means to fear the Lord uh, as the Psalms progress. Uh, But I'm often struck by how hard Christians try to argue that Fear of God in the Bible is not actually fear. Uh, for example, we often say when we come to passages like this that uh, as, uh, this isn't talking about fearing God. It's, it's you know, just talking about being in awe of him and revering him. Now, it is that, but I think it's much more than that. For I think that the fear of God here is actually talking about being terrified because you know who God's anointed king is and you know that he is the one who will shatter his enemies like a piece of pottery when he comes to rightfully judge his world. When I was in New Zealand, we went on a bushwalk which at times was utterly terrifying. Uh, You know, we would be walking along the side of a cliff face and there would be guardrails to one side uh, that prevent you from falling off the cliff and being dashed to pieces on the rocks below. But uh, as we walked along, there were actually parts of of the bushwalk where they simply forgot to put in any guardrails. And so uh, uh, there were times when I was just peering down, uh, contemplating my death. Uh, It it, it was a a terrifying experience. 
But what do you do when you're so terrified? Well, I'll tell you what I did. <laughs> I ran the other way <laughs> to safer ground. I didn't care if I looked silly or cowardly. I, I just ran that way. You see, being terrified is not always a bad thing if it makes you run to safety, isn't it? What God is saying here to the nations and their kings who conspire against him is that they should be so frightened in knowing who Jesus is that they will run to the Lord for safety. They will run to the Lord and begin to serve him. However, the truly wonderful thing and many of you already know this, is that once you start serving the Lord, you know how much joy that brings. Is that right? Uh, That's why the psalmist can say in verse 11 uh, that serving the Lord is a bit like rejoicing and trembling at the same time. Uh, As you serve the Lord, you cannot but be filled with deep joy. But you notice there, friends, that serving the Lord is actually the same thing as serving Jesus, the Son of God. You can see it there in verse 12, can't you? The psalmist says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Uh, Kissing the Son refers to the ancient practice of kneeling down and kissing the feet of a king. It's about paying homage to that king. It's about submitting to his rule. It's about saying that my life is now not about serving myself, but it's about living for you and and for your honour and for your glory. And the great promise here is that for those who come to Jesus, come to the Son, and take refuge in him in this way, well, they will not be destroyed, but they will find great blessing in him. Uh, Over the past few months, you may have noticed that there's been a lot of backburning in in our city, uh, across Sydney. Uh, You know, this is the practice where they light a a wildfire uh, to burn large patches of land because the idea is that once the land has been burned... It can't burn again in that area. And so the safest place to be is to actually be in the place which has already been burned. That's the idea of refuge, isn't it? It's the idea of uh, of, of taking refuge and finding safety in an area like that. Uh, The invitation here, friends, in God's word, is to take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ because it is only in him that you and I will avoid the destruction that will come on the last day. For Jesus has been burned and judged in our place on the cross. And there is the promise that all who come to him will not face judgment for our sin, but that we will find safety and refuge and peace with God. And so, friends, have you found refuge in this son? Have you kissed his feet and submitted yourself to being ruled by him? him? 
Are you serving him in your life and serving his people and serving uh, the purposes of his kingdom? Now, I'm sure that many of us have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and we have found refuge and peace in him. But you may be here this morning and you have never found refuge in the Lord Jesus. You may even have been coming to church for a long time, but you are not serving Jesus and his people and you've never really seriously submitted your life to him. And I want to say that if that is you, then please heed the warning of this passage. Wise up. Kiss the feet of Jesus and submit to his rule and start serving him in your life and find out just how much joy and blessing and freedom there is in serving this king. It would be a great tragedy, don't you think, if you get to the last day and you meet the Psalm 2 king and he says to you, why didn't you heed the warning? You came to church week after week after week. You even went to growth groups to study the scriptures. You heard about this again and again and you never heeded the warning. I warned you again and again. You even heard a sermon on Psalm 2. And you still did not turn to me and find refuge. Uh, If that happens to you, friends, then please know that you have no one but yourself to blame. But here is the gracious invitation of God himself. Heed the warning. Kiss the son. Start serving him and find safety, and find life, and find blessing in him. Let's pray together. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. Uh, We thank you that your word brings us life and blessing and joy to all those who delight in it and meditate upon it. And Father, we thank you especially for, our, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his rule over our lives and in this world. Our Father, we are sorry for the times when we have not recognized his rule. We are sorry for the times when we have thought of his reign in our lives as a ball and chain that we need to be free of. Uh, Please forgive us and help us to continue to listen to him and to live his way. Uh, Father, if there are people here this morning who are living in opposition to Jesus and have never acknowledged him as their king and saviour, we pray that you would, in your mercy, help them to turn to him and find refuge and life and safety in him this morning. And we pray that uh, you would help us to kiss this king and to serve him and to live for his glory and honour and that you would fill us with great joy and confidence 
uh, even as we sometimes face opposition to our faith, knowing that the nations have been given to our king and that one day all his enemies will give an account before him. And we pray that you would help us to marvel at who he is and that you would give us boldness to speak about him so that many would turn to him and be saved. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.